0: Hey welcome back to Uncommon Core where we explore the big ideas in crypto from first principles. Today I'm sitting down with Suzu, my friend and co-host and Josh of Orthogonal Trading. Josh is one of the most experienced options traders in crypto and we had a very interesting and wide-ranging conversation. Topics we touched on today include how options work, differences between options and futures, different strategies for using them in crypto, as well as what Josh thinks about options trading platforms in DeFi. Please enjoy. So hey, welcome Josh, Um, why don't you introduce yourself real quick and um, what you guys do over at Orthogonal?
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, very exciting to be on this podcast. I listen to it religiously when it comes out. So we are uh, you know, digital <laughs> digital asset-focused um, hedge fund. We run three main buckets of risk, I guess you would say. Uh, we do a lot in options, uh, making and taking, though we predominantly take. Uh, we do some market-neutral arbitrage stuff in both CeFi and DeFi. So that could be anything from farming to, you know, uh, Purpose, physical ARBs or, or other cards, types of ARBs. Um, and then we do some systematic trend following stuff as well. So that's kind of gray box slash black box over a few different time horizons. Uh, focused mainly on BTC and ETH, but, you know, we'll do some other assets if they're, if they're moving a lot. Um, we kind of allocate our risk between those three buckets, you know, depending on the opportunity set at the time.
0: So I, I take it you you have a background in traditional finance before coming into crypto?
1: Yes, yeah, so um, my background before crypto was, I was a a macro portfolio manager at an internal hedge fund down here in Australia uh, at the bank I was working at. So that was kind of like your classic uh, macro prop desk, where you came in at the beginning of the year and had some limits and some stop losses and, and went for it. Uh, I did that for several years, that desk was kind of being wound down and so then I went into crypto, I joined a firm, Digital Asset Capital Management, working with a guy named Richard Galvin uh, as their head of trading, so I had a great time there for a couple of years. Yeah, we did a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I think we're
0: both huge fans of Richard, right? Yeah, I love Richard. We should definitely have him on sometime.
1: Yeah, I introduced Richard to uh, Carl and Sue, if my memory is correct. Yeah. A long time ago. Um, so yeah, so I was at I was at Dacum, uh for two years, and then at the beginning of this year, uh, I left there and to set up my own own firm with a few partners. So my partners are from traditional uh, traditional markets as well, from predominantly vol backgrounds. One from Morgan Stanley trading FX options. One, uh, a senior guy who was at a lot of different shops, but he was at, uh, you know, firms such as Bluecrest as a senior PM there. But we've got another guy who is a, a quant slash dev who, you know, came from some Japanese, uh, some of the large Japanese banks. So now we are, we're four four strong uh, and, and chugging away. Hmm.
0: But I mean, I, I love your accent, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I don't know too many people from Australia, so... i don't know i don't know if
1: my accent is a lot australian or a little australian yeah i'm not sure
0: it's it's very easy to listen to for sure so how how is the crypto scene actually in um in australia did you guys so you guys manage your own balance sheet but also have some uh, outside capital right so did you raise from australia how's the scene over there
1: yeah yeah that's true yeah so we run our own balance sheet um we do some slightly different stuff with our own balance sheet to what we do in the fund. Uh, we do like, for example, we'll test, test strategies out, like systematic strategies and stuff with our own money before putting external people's money into them just to make sure they're all working properly. Uh, we do a bit of VC stuff as well where it suits strategically. Um, in terms of our fundraising, it's not much from Australia actually, uh, predominantly from Asia. Uh, but you know more the kind of classic um, Hong Kong, Singapore, you know, China and we have uh, some funds from from uh, you know Europe and and, and uh, the Amer- America as well. But I mean yeah the the Australian crypto scene I would say it's pretty it's pretty good. I mean obviously Melbourne is a huge hub for DeFi uh, and there's you know some some stuff I guess happening in Sydney and then you know Sydney we have I mean Akuna who are uh, if not the biggest, certainly one of the biggest uh, options market makers in crypto. They have a Sydney office, so there's there's some there's some option stuff at the very least happening in Sydney.
0: Um, so yeah, options. Uh, good change of topic. So um, that's actually the the main reason I wanted to have you on, um, because you're one of the biggest uh, options traders in crypto, uh, mainly on the the taker side. Um, and um, it just, I think you have a very like, you're very, very good at making things sound understandable and simple. So I really admire that. Um, love following you on Twitter, for sure. <laughs> and, Thanks. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, um, we've uh, we've done an episode on um, sort of a 101 on perpetual swaps uh, a couple of months ago. Um, actually, I, I interviewed two. And that was our most uh, popular episode back then. So uh, since then, people have a lot of people have requested that we do something on options as well, sort of give people a basic intro. So um, can you describe in your own words uh, what an option is and how it works?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, now I probably do a terrible job of keeping things simple. <laughs> but uh, the classic definition would be that it's a derivative that gives you the right but not the obligation uh, to transact at a certain price at a certain time in the future so if you uh buy uh, a call then and it, let's say it expires uh, in in a week's time and the strike is 20,000 uh dollars per 1 BTC then you have the right but not the obligation to buy you know the amount of face um worth of BTC that you bought in that option so if the option was for 10 BTC and the spot market ends at 21,000 after a week you can buy 10 BTC at 20,000 uh, and you'll make your profit of, you know, a $1,000 times by 10. Uh, and likewise, if you're the seller, then, um, you know, you sell the option. So if they want to exercise, you have to and you you've got the opposite position. Uh, I mean, in practice, in, in practice, there's no like, oh, I'm not going to exercise. If you're in the money, you, you get exercise. And if you're not in the money, you don't. But, but theoretically.
0: Very basic question. So when, when I buy a call option and it expires in the money. And uh, do I, like how how does the settlement work compared to like a futures contract?
1: Uh, Well, different platforms in different markets will sell you in different fashions. Like some will cash settle you, some will uh, physically physically settle you. For an exchange on Deribit, how the settlement process works is like half an hour before uh, expiry. You have your delta from the options, and it will then tell you what your delta of your um, derivative account will be after expiry. So, if you're delta hedging your book, i.e., you're like keeping your um, directional exposure to a minimum, you will use that period to adjust via uh, perps or, or OTC or futures or whatever your position, such that it's you know flat at the end of that period. Uh, if you're just outright have the option, then basically at the end of the period. Uh, at settlement time, all your exposure goes away, and you get your um, BTC or ETH payout in your account. So it effectively cash cash settles in. Okay,
0: so if 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 I buy the the option to buy like a BTC at um, at 20k and it it ends at 21k, and I don't actually need to buy the Bitcoin, right? I, I cannot no, just... you
1: don't. Well, no, you don't have to. Um, you don't have to. You just get that P and L in your account, basically. Oh, yeah. Okay. So um, going back to your original explanation. So um,
0: I picked up three, um, yeah, three key terms, I guess, that maybe our listeners should understand. The first being kind of the, the strike price, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the second, the expiry date. The, stri- this, this, the strike price is basically where you can buy or sell the uh, the asset
1: yeah and correct is, it's, and sometimes you'll uh you sometimes you'll see people refer to the strike price as k so like on twitter or wherever the strike price equals k hmm,
0: okay and then the the expiry date is just the date when the option expires right and yep and the third being kind of the, the premium right what you yeah paid
1: yeah the premium option. is is the, yeah, the the cost of the option um not like so if you buy you know 10 of an option and the option costs a dollar then your premium will be $10 spent effectively what Mm -hmm. what you can if you buy a call and it's limited loss you're long it then that that $10 premium is your you know max loss for that position assuming Mm -hmm. no delta hedging Mm -hmm.
0: so I, I would assume that our listeners are like all of them are familiar with kind of how futures work because we've done a very Uh, intensive episode on that so how how would you describe kind of the differences between between the two uh types of derivative
1: uh i think one way you could describe them assuming that you're we're just talking about kind of longing options uh, and not Mm -hmm. shorting options is you know when you and if you don't use a stop loss on your futures position then your futures position is obviously um unlimited loss uh, and you can end up getting liquidated or whatever if you're in an option assuming you don't use the entire account balance on that option your max loss will only be the money you put down so that's one aspect i think that's that's pretty different is that you have a limited loss versus an unlimited loss and by unlimited
0: in the context of crypto we always mean busting your account right yeah zero (laughs) negative 100
1: (laughs) percent Um, what's another difference? Let me think of um So do you reckon you get more leverage on a per on like a highly levered perp or on a call? Probably on a call, right?
2: I think a call. Also I think the the biggest value of a call over a perp is really that your stop loss is defined better, right? So that you don't you kinda don't get wicked out. Um
1: Yeah, you can set and forget it almost.
2: So I think that's probably the biggest difference.
1: Another difference between, I think, a future or a perp and an option uh, could be if you buy a perp, uh, a market goes up, you know, you make money. If you buy, say, an option that is a $1,000 out of the money uh, and the price goes up by $600, that option will, you know, eventually that option will decay to zero and you're still out of the money expiry and you'll suffer your total loss, you know, of the premium. So while the options have a limited loss, they're, you know, on an expiry, you'll obviously make money during the option as it rallies, but uh, in an expiry sense, you don't have that guarantee that you will make money if the market rallies because the market has to rally, you know, through your strike, and through your strike by enough, you know, technically to like cover any of your costs as well. They're probably the two main differences. Yeah,
0: I, I feel like especially for someone who doesn't have kind of an automatic trading setup and is kind of hooked directly into the exchange API and can basically as a manual kind of stop loss system. I think that's um, it's a very valuable feature of options. uh basically that, that it's kind of set and forget because i've i've used stop loss i've tried to use stop loss in futures both on BitMEX and ftx and um well, it, it's it never really works the way you expect it right
1: mm, yeah 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 well the wicks in crypto are real even without MEX so being so dominant they're still are uh, you know they they're still pretty serious when they want to be
0: yeah, not just not just yeah, the wicks for sure, but also when the market actually gets to the price where you set your stop loss, you're basically never getting filled there, because on the way there, there might also be liquidations queued up, right? So you you're not first in the queue basically to, to yeah. execute.
1: Yeah, I would yeah. agree with that. I mean, obviously, you know, if you want to, uh, if you want to short short options, that's that's a different ball game. Uh, you know, with very different risks. But if we're talking long options, then uh, you get, you know, you get plenty of leverage, especially if you buy uh, what you would call like a wingy option, which is an option with a low delta or like a a low probability of going in the money. You know, you can buy a lot of those types of options for a small amount of cost. Um, But, you know, only lose what you put in. But uh, yeah, there's no guarantee that uh, at expiry time, uh, you were right. But you've got a long time. That's a, I guess in a sense that means you've just got a long time before you have to worry about, a uh, like, um, effective stop triggering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
0: you touched on uh, long options um, and kind of the the short side being the the way more risky one. So that's so that's something that took me uh, a moment to wrap my head around red, because if you're used to futures, then kind of the the opposite. Mm. the counter the counterpart party of every long is kind of a short right like if you if, if, you, if you have a, lo- a long view on the market then you just long the future if you have a, a negative view on the market then you can short the future right whereas in options there's like you can you can buy a call uh, or you can sell uh, a put right and uh, those have very different risk profiles
1: yeah yeah they give you you know like they may give you a similar uh delta exposure so your you know your effective um like spot position but yeah they'll give you different the other greeks they give you will be very different uh in like a first order sense so you know if you long the call you have your long delta and you have some long gamma and you have like you pay theta uh and your long We'll to do what those mean a little bit yeah later on. <laughs> yeah uh and you know if you sell the put you still have the long delta but everything else is the opposite basically so your the scenarios you want that making money are uh pretty different
0: yeah every time you sell something like whether whether it's a, a put or a call then your loss is unlimited and every time you buy something then your loss is limited to the premium you paid right
1: correct yeah
2: yeah I think I think an interesting like philosophical way that I've had options explained to me in the past that I think might be useful for beginners is that when you're buying options you're long volatility and when you're short options you're short volatility and so when you buy options you're hoping that the market will move more than other people expect it to move right so when you buy that call you're betting that the price of that call, the the price is not reflecting as much upside volatility as you expect. So in other words, you choose the option to express that view because you think that that gives you the most upside. And same with the put. You buy the put when you think it's um when you think that uh, the market's not pricing it as much downside volatility as you expect. So it's really it's really about your own view on volatility and whether or not uh, you think the market is overpricing it or underpricing it. Um, and that kind of gets to what Josh just mentioned now about Greeks, right? Where he, he talked about theta, gamma, and vega. These are all just different ways that uh, you can quantify your exposure to volatility. Uh, so I think, think framing it that way, you know, where you're either long vol or short vol, um, I think it, it's a good place to start to. To understand what your what kind of risks you're taking on when you do a strategy.
1: Yeah, I agree with that, and I think you could you could add as well that in options there are a lot of different ways to trade. You know, trade options. You you know you can just buy a single option and just worry. Say you buy a call. You know, just worry about did I buy a call that I think is reasonably priced uh, and do I make money on it? Or you could you know be much more complicated and you know, analyze a bunch of, you know, kind of option-specific metrics to see if, you know, that was a good outright um, way to trade, you know, a delta view. Or if you don't want to trade options for delta, um, you know, as a convex way to get a good payoff for, say, a long option position, then you might, you know, run a a relative value book where all you care about is, you know, the vol's. Sometimes you don't even care if it's a call or a put. Uh, you just care about, you know, what that bowl is, you know, on the curve or the surface. And you have multiple long and short options at any one time across, you know, every risk bucket. So you can make it simple and you can make it complex. And I think it depends on, you know, what you want to get out of the, what you want to get out of it really, and what your expertise and experience is. Sue, so you
0: mentioned, um, you mentioned that, that like philosophically one way to think about options trading is kind of betting on volatility right relative to kind of what the market expects and the 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 first time we we talked about options ever on this podcast was in the context of uniswap appearing right so um, when people put two assets into a pool um, they're kind of rebalanced by the market and um, in terms of exposure it is like selling volatility right so they they give up kind of their, their extreme top side and the extreme downside um, and uh, yeah kind of the volatility is, is, is kind of compressed so um, you suggested that one way to hedge that uh, exposure which is we also call it impermanent loss typically um, would be to uh, to buy volatility actually right using a co- combination of two options so i want to get into some of some of these things people use options for in crypto um maybe going through the yeah the different stuff both like very simple uh like one directional stuff uh and the more kind of complex combinations of products that people might be interested in
1: I mean I think you can probably separate them into uh hedging and specular like hedging and speculating um -hmm. to start with So, you know, speculating is kind of just buying or selling an option based on whatever your prevailing view is. And then hedging might be like, you know, the um, AMM example where your negative uh, gamma uh, from being an LP on the AMM. So you, say, buy some strangles or straddles uh, and you try to structure it in a fashion whereby like your negative gamma is mitigated but you still uh net earn some sort of money um you know from fees or or yield uh you know yield being given to you in the form of a token or whatever. Gamma if uh gamma being the rate of change of your notional position for a move in spot. So, you know, if you have um X amount of gamma and spot goes from one to uh, Two, your, your position won't be the same. It'll be, you know, um, a, a function of the gamma position. I don't know if I explained that very well, but. What kind of
0: options are in a, um, a, a strangle?
1: So a strangle is just a long A strangle and a straddle are kind of the same thing in terms of what options they are. So a straddle is two options are put in a call of the same strike. And a strangle is uh, put in a call that are different strikes. So if you're, you know, trading, um, say in a macro, in the macro world, and you just want to buy like a grunty vol position, you might go in and say, hey, I want a um, DNS. Thanks, what's your vol? And that stands for Delta Neutral Straddle. So you basically buy like the at-the-money put and the at-the-money call. You have no delta exposure. You just have like a large vol exposure. Uh, if you want to buy, if you think that the value in options is more on the out of the money stuff than the at the money stuff, then you might buy a strangle. Uh, in which case, that's still delta neutral if the strike, if the deltas on the strikes are the same, obviously. But then you might buy the 25 delta put and the 25 delta call, so they give you, yeah, they they give you kind of the same risks in the sense that you're long. Um, your long bowl uh, and you pay a premium to own those options. But like the second level would be that, you know, you have different um, risks in a local or local sense, or if the market moves a lot. So, you know, the you'd buy the strangle if you thought the um, market was going to move a lot and the out of the monies were very cheap. But if you just thought the market was going to kind of move locally, but the vol was cheap or, or you thought the smile was fair, i.e. the value of the out of the monies compared to the out of the monies then you might go the uh, you might go the um, straddle
0: mm-hmm. yeah, so yeah you separated them into speculation and hedging and i guess that most speculators would would take play only the long side of options right so kind of call buying uh,
1: i think you see a lot I actually think you see a lot of speculating and in, in option selling for yield uh, i think that i think that's one thing that's changed in the market i think like maybe um 2019 2018 even it, you saw a lot of the a lot of the speculating was just people punting long options now I think there's been a bit of a shift where like people are like quite keen to earn some yield. so they are kind of they'll come in and, and sell them or sell them in some sort of product uh, I think that's that's changed a bit uh, I, yeah. I mean,
0: I actually, had them down here as a third category, uh, yield enhancing. So <laughs>
1: yeah, well, I mean, that would be that is speculation, but just speculation, in a nicer yeah. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's nicer word when it's <laughs> you're totally before. right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I guess for I mean, there are lots of good examples. I guess hedging in macro world, if in terms of using hedging uh, options for hedging in crypto, well, mi- miners maybe miners,
0: yeah. Are, are so minus
1: miners is the classic one, yeah, where they buy puts um they either buy puts or they sell the risk reversal which is buying puts and selling calls um so that's the classic uh the classic minor hedge another one might be like a a fund or an investor that's you know long biased or long only and wants some downside protection so it's happy to buy some puts and you know if you get um if you get the market, If the market tanks and so be it, you've protected yourself. And if you lose the premium, you're fine because you want the market to rally anyway.
2: I think a, another form of hedging that um, people don't think about as much, but like, kind of like bullish hedging, uh, if you'll allow me that meme, uh, is when people think their their fund is going to get more subscriptions or a lot of money is going to come into their fund to buy BDC, then they may buy a call spread or or buy calls to hedge that inflow, because they'll say, like, I want to try to lock in a good price for those people, like, you know, if the money's already confirmed, but just the, the fiat hasn't hit yet. Uh, so I think, you, you know, you also see like call buying in that context, and that's actually quite common in equity markets, right, where uh, people will buy calls to hedge their expected inflow uh, the next month, uh, things like that. So. You know, hedging can also be like hedging fiat into BDC. Like let's say you're a trading firm and you expect to make X amount of BDC next month on a trade. You may want to hedge and just lock it in, but you may not have the capital yet to go long spot. So and you don't want to get liquidated on long perps. And you may buy calls instead. Uh because you know you can fully fund that in a day, uh, once you get the cash from your proceeds, for instance.
1: I think I think you could even extend that to this is going to maybe sound really silly but like um, hedging your longs with calls whereby you know let's say you're let's say you're bullish and you've got a large pert position um, but you're also terrified that you know the market's going to have some sort of nasty pullback you can you can take some of that premium or some, some of that profits and put it in a call instead so you know if unless you buying a you're not going to be buying a call that is the same um, Delta or notional position as, as your spot position is. So you're reducing your directional risk. You're lowering your P and L vol um, by putting it into that call. So in a sense that I would say is really a hedge. Ie, like it's yeah, definitely, it's
2: not,
1: yeah, it's not necessarily profit maximizing, maximizing, but it's like um, it's vol lessening like P and L vol lessening. Yeah.
2: Yeah, you're basically creating a synthetic put for yourself, right? Like you're, yeah. you're using your, your what you want is you want to be able to protect the price that you can get out of your at by changing it into a call. So I think that's also, I guess another interesting example, you know, tying into yield farming is you know, back in July, August when, you know, Wi-Fi had come out and and there's a lot of good farms, uh, stablecoin farms with Curve and Compound and, and so on. I think a lot of BDC denominated players that, that we speak with it as well as ourselves you know it it was interesting to think like you know you can you can sell uh your bdc to usd uh farm with it at 100% APY on huge size and also then buy calls and the calls get you your bdc exposure back and the yield from your yield farm kind of pays for that call theta mm-hmm. And yeah. so you're and so you're just left this may be too much alpha leak, but I think
1: yeah, alpha, we did that as we did that as well, I mean, we did these that farms well. are
2: these farms are mostly dead now, so i'm I feel okay talking about it, yeah, that. I think it's fun, yeah, but but yeah, I think I think like thinking back to like that that's one of the most obvious trades, and it's a and a yeah. and it's a hedge where you you basically have no downside because even if Bitcoin goes to one k, you don't care. actually, you probably make money, uh,
1: yeah, I think in that wonderful. scenario. well certainly if you're liquidating if certainly if you're liquidating your farms into fiat and btc gets smoked that's and you're farming like a stable then that that's a great outcome because you'll lose a bit on your calls that's fine whatever but um you uh will be able to buy a lot of btc back cheaper with the fiat you have accumulated right and i mean if the market does tank you don't even necessarily if you're you know like a sophisticated trader you don't even necessarily need to sit on that call delta right you can just go and hedge it and trying yeah. to get the daughters back lower exactly um, yeah yeah we did that as well i think that was a kind of no-brainer
0: yeah we touched on gold selling and uh, that there are a lot of products now where people are kind of exposed to that so i think binance binance has a pretty popular one i'm not sure if they call it like dual savings account or something and then matrix port um i think also has a has a product in that direction where you deposit btc right and then they sell um, they say calls, so calls on the mm. BTC. Um, so, what do you think about that kind of um, product in general?
1: Mm. I mean, I think I think that like selling calls is great until it's not, and then it's like really not at all very good. Well, I mean, think of it like if the if you're, it, I guess probably depends a bit if you're covered and what strikes you're selling and what premium you want. So. For example, you know, if you're selling calls in a market that's grinding higher and there's no real prospect of like any explosive up move in the short term, that's one thing. If you're selling calls, you know, with BTC at 19.9K and it could be at 22 in three minutes, like that's a whole different ballgame. And I think also think of it like if you want to earn X yield, say you're long X BTC and you want to earn Y yield, you can sell a higher delta call, or a call that's closer to the strike in an amount that might notional match your BTC. So, you know, you have the, the BTC and you'll be okay. Um, you just cut off the upside, which everyone is kind of here for, but that's fine. Mm-hmm. And then, but if you then go, oh, you know what? I don't actually want to be selling my BTC at that level, but I still want to get that premium. Then you end up selling a further out of the money call but you have to sell it in much more size to get the same premium. So, you know, you can be in this situation then where you're not actually fully covered anymore. Uh, and I've heard of some firms that have done this, like then you actually just outright short calls because you're long 100 BTC, but you're short 200 calls. Uh, and then you have a, you have at that point a, you know, like a super wingy um, position with a lot of like a vol of vol and other kind of more complicated Greeks on it. So I think you're like, the covered call is always going to be around, and it's you know I can understand why I think there's times and places for it, and depends a bit you know if the bowl is up there are two hundred, then like sell all the covered calls you want because like it's super worth it if the vowels are like thirty, then I don't think it's a very good idea
2: I think also like covered call just as an idea you know it's it's a very similar to being a uniswap or sushi swap l p it's It's not good or bad on its own because it's also about what you would have done instead anyway, right? Mm. Like, like if you would have worked to sell wall on Coinbase at 21K, then you might as well sell a 21K call, right? Yeah,
1: it, it might never get there. Yeah, because you,
2: you, because you would have put the offer there anyway. So this is strictly better than putting the offer there somewhat. It's still not quite. Yeah, because- I was going to
0: ask you about that because you tweeted something very interesting the other day um, where you said, uh, there's options. I don't. I can't remember the strike price actually, but uh, I was on seventy two k. Seventy two k. Seventy two. k. Yeah, you said if yeah. you're going to, if you if you plan on, I mean, a lot of people have have this kind of like yeah. plan that they stick to, where uh if there's a big run up in BTC, they they sell some BTC at different prices, right, and yeah, they yeah, yeah. force themselves to stick to that. Yeah. And you said if you if you are going to sell it near seventy k anyway then why not why not sell these these calls right so is that um so is that is that strictly better than not doing it if you have like a plan where you definitely want to sell there or am i missing something
2: the main difference is that um if the price gaps through your limit price what you would have done so Mm -hmm. so selling the call is better strictly because you're getting the time value. Of that option mm-hmm. that's being paid to you by the call buyer right so you, you money, you're getting money up. you're getting money every day that the price doesn't get there by expiry and so if you already have those btc and you're willing and you would have sold there anyway then you're adding on that that premium value to your net worth so so that's free money in the sense that you would have sold there anyway. The the obvious question will be like why are you the type of person who sells at some price anyways? Why, you know, why why are you that type of person, right? But that's getting into risk aversion and that's getting into you know, lots of other kind of more very tricky concepts. So
1: Yeah, your decision should be a function of the context at the time, not because like you decided, you know, when you were lying in bed 3 years ago that that was the price you wanted to sell at. Well, I mean, I, Empirically, people who... Right. uh, Assuming you make good decisions, I guess. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. so so
0: that's
2: why, you know, the efficient markets people, they kind of fundamentally don't really get markets sometimes, right? Because, you know, the average Joe, he does not wake up and think about what is optimal. He just tries to live his life a little bit better than the day before, right? Mm -hmm. So in that context, selling a call on BDC, he already owns, may be a great strategy. Because if it doesn't get there, maybe he uses that premium to buy more BDC. And then he sells more calls each time. And if it gets 72K, he's not fussed about it because maybe he has some cold storage as well. And he's okay letting these BDC go to some fund that bought these calls from him, right? So it's all about, you know, risk aversion. And it's all about, you know, what is the purpose of wealth to you, right? Uh, Options kind of crystallizes that nicely because um, I do think the, like, the log wealth, linear wealth talks, like, it really comes into play with these wings on BDC calls. It's like, the, does anyone need more money when BDC is at 72K? Some people don't need more money; they have enough. So selling a 72K call makes sense for them because they don't need more money after 72K. They can buy, you know, their reasonably sized house and they can move on. <laughs> so,
1: yeah, I think I think because then you have the participants who are, um you know, they're just pure. uh I'm not quite sure what the perfect way to phrase it is but they're like pure ev maximizing so the whatever that their wealth is at 72 btc is irrelevant to them what's relevant is have i made like maximum returns on whatever's happened in the last x time period up till now or right now uh and then as a slightly separate thing on the uh, on the kind of those wingy options uh you know like there's been some pretty large flows going through over the last month in some of the like uh, thirty-two to forty K strikes, for example. Um, we, you know, like we'll trade a lot of those wingy options, uh, both top side and downside. But we don't, with no real view on uh, the spot, and like you know, if spot is going to be in the money on that option at that specific time, because those those wingy options give you like a lot of grunt in certain uh, certain events so there's a lot of there's come some quite nice kind of strategies that carry fairly well that that have a lot of oomph behind them that you can kind of get into by by dealing in those wingy options because they're so convex to be long
0: Josh you said something earlier that uh, really fascinated me um, and I want to want to uh kind of move into that direction so there are people who who trade only spot or futures right or options and then so they trade always the same exact product right but then another way to look at trading and i'm sure this is how you actually look at it and longer term investing is that you should first think about kind of the exact kind of financial exposure that you want based on kind of your general beliefs about the market and then you create a mix of products to Create that bet in a sort of capital efficient way, right? Would you kind of, yeah, in general?
1: So, I mean, if you put that into like options terms, of like, I want to be long and I think the market's going up over the course of the next month, uh, you know, there are a bunch of different ways, Mm -hmm. not infinite, but there's a lot, there's a lot of ways you could express that view depending on how many options you want to trade, etc. So, I mean, you could say, um, I'm going to be long a bunch of spot and I'm going to buy a put and that put is a hedge and it protects me and I can be long the spot and not have to worry about taking profit um, or not have to worry about, you know, getting wicked out. Like I've got protection for a month or whatever. So that's like a pretty simple way. Uh, You know, then you have the, Oh, I'm going to buy a call and I'm just going to spend the premium on my call. And if it pays out, then, you know, that's great. Then if you, then, you know, I guess I could give a bit more context of the actual actual specifics of the options. So you might do that. If you're like a professional, you might do that put because you think that voles on the downside are, are really cheap um, and the voles on the top side are quite expensive, uh, but you want to be long and you're kind of bearish vol, like you think we're just going to grind higher. You think the skill is expensive. So maybe you just want to be like shorts and puts and you think vol's are high. So you want to be shorts and puts and you know, maybe you want to be long spot and structure it such that you know you can deal with whatever happens on the downside, right? It's not like you're gonna sit on it. Or the calls you might think, oh, you know, vols are generally cheap. These calls pay out pretty well. Um, I don't want to get wicked out of my spot position. Uh, this the different the the calls are cheap relative to the relative to the puts and the vols are fairly priced. Okay, I'll buy some calls and I'll sit on them. Or then you might say, okay, well, I don't want to be short a naked option to the downside because if the, you know, I, I might not want to run the spot position all the time and I don't want unlimited losses, etc. But I don't want to spend all the premium to buy a call, uh, and I think vols are like fair to maybe like mildly expensive, but they're like broadly whatever, um, and the the difference between calls and puts, maybe calls are a bit expensive, um, but it's not crazy. So I'll do a call spread and I'll buy, you know, like a 10K call and sell a 15K call and just sit on it and see what happens. Or you could then say, oh, you know what? I actually think both, cause that will give you basically a long delta exposure where you pay less decay, uh, but you have a limited upside and limited loss because you sell the call, right? So. The asymmetry of that is a lot of that asymmetry is determined by what is that vol that you're selling that call at, um, at least relative to the vol you're buying the call at. So, but then you might say, well, actually, I think vol's are expensive here, and I think the skew is too ex- too. Well, crypto flip it around. So I think this the this skew is too cheap. I calls are too expensive, especially the wingier calls. Um, so maybe i want to actually be long spot well i want to be long delta rather but i want to be short vol um so to be short vol, well i have to buy a 10k call and i have to sell two 15k calls so i now technically have unlimited loss to the upside but the break even on that trade is obviously going to be very good because by the time you get to your short strike you've already made 5000 dollars per lot so your break even is, you know, well above that strike. Um, you know, and you can do those ratios they call them in in any ratio. Um, or, you know, you could say, well, I think that skew is is uh, really really um, like in crypto would be expensive. I think puts are way too expensive relative to calls, and I think I'm very bullish, and the market's just not going lower. And I just want leverage to be long so you might do a risk reversal you might sell a call sell a put and buy a call and just leave it so that like there you've got the same like delta view but like every trade has like different to very different greeks on it and i mean you can get uh you can get more more uh complicated than that and if you're trading your book in a fashion that is even like remotely delta neutral then to get something optimal uh becomes more complicated again
2: what do you think about the way you roll over actually like how do you handle the quarterly and the monthly expiries in terms of Mm. your your thinking of it
1: it's kind of painful um especially when you get like outrageous deltas at expiry uh i think well two things we do one thing we do is we as we kind of come into the expiry, where we can, we try to hedge our options with options. So we'll try to kind of sell some options or buy some options back, such that at expiry our like life will be easier, as long as it like doesn't give away too much money. So we do a bit of that to help us. Um, I think like from a, a trading standpoint, otherwise you just kind of grit your teeth and like do the best you can. Uh, from a micro market standpoint. I think, it def- I think it has an impact. I think even sometimes the weeklies have an impact, to be honest. Like, if I'm not even... I mean, obviously, there's a, if there's a huge amount of, of like OI or a huge amount of strikes, like, that makes a difference. But I'm not convinced that you even need necessarily, like, to have a huge amount of total OI. I think if you've got kind of the right players with the right strikes um, in the right size even if the total OI is not that big, like they can still have like quite a large impact on the spot market, right? Like you might just have a random Friday where a Delta neutral guy has got, you know, I don't know, like 3000X of like a strike that's in the money and he has to like Delta hedge it and nothing's happening and there's not like this huge expiries, but like one dude has a massive ticket to do. So I think like, I think it's a bit random. I think it's hard to, it's hard to like uh, create a strategy that's like high alpha around it aside from like, you know, sometimes it'll matter and sometimes it won't. And just kind of assume that it has some impact that's hard to benchmark. That's probably not very useful though. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's tricky for us. I mean, we generally use options for uh, hedging as well as for uh, speculation when we think it's good value. So it's, it's definitely painful to manage the expiries, uh, because we'll because we'll just buy we'll usually just buy spot if we need to replicate in the TWOP um window uh, to get the deltas mm-hmm. back. Uh, rolling, uh, I think I think it's like we we try to match off with the flow that got us in the position in the first place. So I feel like you know doing it then is the ideal time, right? When you get the big mm-hmm. self flow coming back in. Um,
1: yeah that's true I guess if both people decide they want to fix it up then um that works like I mean we have had instances because we run multiple different books right like so we run um what what do we have now One, maybe like seven deribit books but like for various reasons I mean and, and we replicate positions across denominations obviously but you get differences um, and we have kind of two vol strats that we run. So sometimes I'll have different risk. So there are times where like we, one book might have like 200 BTC to sell and the other book might have like, you know, a hundred BTC to buy. So in those instances we can just like match each other off. Um, but if that's not the case, then you just, yeah, you just kind of got to chip it in. Right. It can be a bit of a pain though. Like if you've got a large Delta, well, if so, if you've got a large change in your delta over expiry, right, and you want to keep that delta, I mean, you can end up, right, say, say it's like you're long. If the market's getting belted over that, like, half an hour, 45-minute window, and you're having to run, like, you know, 30 to 50% longer than you would like for expiry purposes, like, it can be a real pain. Um, I, honestly, I think, I think the most crazy thing in the market these days is what I alluded to on that call, which is, like, every Friday after expiry or even slightly before like voles just get destroyed. Like, you know, it's pretty common for, for front end to be down like 10 to 20 voles between like five o'clock Saturday, five o'clock Friday night and like 10 a.m. Yeah, sat, uh, exactly. Saturday morning. Right. Just like they just come in and murder solid. them. Yeah. yeah. They just, yeah, they come in and they just like basically destroy it. Um, so like there's stuff like that where it's kind of like, sometimes I just sit there shaking my head, just being like, you know, what are you doing? But I get, they just don't want any decay over the weekend. I think
0: we we touched on um, a lot of different um, of the so called Greeks, and um, I do I do want to get into um, kind of the basics of how to, to price options and and what actually are those Greeks and and what they mean. And I mean this in podcast format, this can't really replace people sitting down and actually like reading uh, through like a, a proper explainer and maybe like playing around with it but um in your own in your own words like how would you how do you explain how how to price an option what those different factors are
1: uh yeah i mean so i think if if you're trying to price an option all you're trying to do is figure out is the value of this option um fair or not Is the value of it to if it's not fair is it too cheap or is, is it too expensive and you can take two approaches to that you can take the market making approach or you can take the um the kind of, I should call it the relative value approach slash market maker approach, or you can take the kind of like directional slash like pure buy side approach. Um, so I mean, in crypto, like most people use a standard kind of black shoals um, pricer, which uh, has a few assumptions. Uh, I won't go into too much detail, but like you can Google it on Wikipedia. It's like fairly standard. Uh, in um, traditional markets, I'd say your people use diff- there's more complex models being used now, like, FX practitioners often use like, well, mainly stochastic volatility models are used, but uh, there's a few there's a few different models. Um, but for crypto purposes, most people use black, black shale still. So, I mean, if you're, in one sense, if you're a price taker, you almost don't need to price the option per se because it's pretty simple. Like you think you can make that, you know, if option costs X, you think you can get, far enough in the money that you're like x plus something um then you should buy it right like you don't really care if it's worth 70 vols or 72 vols because you think it's going to go 10x so like you're vol insensitive to some extent um and you know there was there was like there is that thing that like if you want to trade an option and like the market makers are showing you x and y is their like bid offer on their two-way price you You pretty much have a choice where it's like, well, I can trade it or or not trade it. So it's like, maybe, am I slightly overpaying for an option? Like, maybe, but like, do I think I still have an edge in it? Like, yes. Okay, well, I'll just trade it. That's the like, it is what it is. I'm just going to try. Yeah, like it is what it is, you know, um, if if that's what the market price is, like, do I think it's expensive or cheap? by some small amount, then, like, so be it, right? So, I mean, I have to admit, I've done, like, a fair chunk of that where it's, like, well, yeah, this option is probably, like, two vols expensive, but, like, you know, I'm going to hold it and, like, it's just a, like, maybe it's just a punch in my PA, for example. Well, you know, maybe it's slightly expensive, but I think it's going to go from 6K to 20K, so I don't really care. Um, If you want to trade, you know, like the vols and like properly like show, for example, what a market maker will do, like a market maker will have their models uh, that will be spitting out what they think the fair vols are. And then they will have, basically it spits out what they call like a Theo, which is a theoretical vol, um, which is what their vol is basically. And then they will put their bid offer around their theoretical vol such that they have, you know, an amount of vol edge, i.e. spread, that they're happy with and then they will just auto quote that all day because according to their according to the the prices that they use um, you know every time someone crosses that spread they're paying too much or too or too little and when you have they have a book of well, pick x some number of strikes 100 strikes across like 10 tenors and it all kind of you know they net it out and that's how they make their uh, that's how they make their like spread um, or the third or yeah, you well, so that's the kind of classic market maker or you have the like relative value firm uh, where you know they'll look at they'll look at all the vols as well like a market maker but they may not necessarily have like a theoretical vol for every single strike on every um Serial, because like that's just overkill right instead they might have like a firm like us for example might have you know a bunch of analytics um and we might have our own kind of discretionary views on smiles and skews and flies and curves and baseballs and you know all kind of all kinds of stuff um and so we'll you know our analytics will run our analytics or whatever and it might say okay well um this this part of the skew curve is like Cheap or like this part of the smile is expensive or whatever. And we'll have our views of, well, I think the curve's too flat. I think the curve's too steep. Uh, And, you know, once we kind of get to our like, I guess, a bit more um, kind of quantitatively driven but more holistic view um, on where the value is, then we'll like dive, you know, in, in more depth to that specific part of the market. So then we'll go and we'll, you know, have a look at all the specific options which one's gonna decay the best, which one's the cheapest. You know, if X happens, which one will give you the most convexity? Um, what's the best thing to sell against that? So instead of, or buy against it. So instead of, um, you know, instead of trying to model a theoretical value and build a two price on every option, we'll basically come to a view of like what we want the, our books to look like, what is the view? And then we'll just deep dive into like those specific options. Um, and we'll have more of a general view on like the, the other options, right? Uh, uh, so that's the kind of the third way to do it. And within that, there are a bunch of, you know, there are a bunch of like different volatility techniques you can use depending on how you want to trade it. Um, and you know, there's there's a few like heuristics, I guess, that that I, I find helpful um, about like how you. If you want to be like long convexity, like think of like, uh, it's probably a small athlete, but I think it's okay. But uh, uh, you want to like buy options that when you want to sell them will be hard to buy. So everyone else wants to buy them. And you want to sell options that when you want to um, buy them back will be easy to buy and everyone will want to sell them. So that, if you have that in the back of your head, you're trading like a kind of book with multiple options and legs in it, then you tend to end up in a scenario where if the shit hits the fan, you're, you know, have, you have some, uh, you've generally done okay. It's
2: a very good answer. I think it's very illuminating if you think about also like, a lot of participants they get overwhelmed by options markets because they think it's all about the model they think it's all about you need to have the most cutting edge model you need to have the biggest eggheads in your firm right and actually like for practitioners they realize that you know for for a small subset of participants what they are trying to do is classical market making they're trying to match off the you know the most expensive the richest part of the curve with the cheapest part of the curve to put on those positions such that You know, their Greeks are manageable, their risks are managed, and then they're capturing, you know, the difference between what people are willing to pay for the most expensive stuff versus the cheapest. But then outside of those players, there's a whole wide spectrum of discretionary players, and it really does make it very important to have a view as well on how the markets will evolve, like Josh said, you know. What kind of options will be very hard to buy if the market moves this way? What options will be very hard to will be very easy to sell and, and these kind of things? So I think like you know if you look at it in, the, in the traditional markets, right, there is a lot of trades where the, where the vols become irrelevant if you have true alpha asymmetric alpha on the delta, right? Like let's say dollar CNH calls when the price was near seven and you're PBOC and you know you can defend seven, then the vols are relevant. the irrelevant you even two vol is too high like you know and and similarly like euro swiss puts before the swiss national bank right like you can pay any like any vol you want and actually you know so so there's even like philosophical debates about like can you actually price a model using a vol model or is it all mental right so so like once you realize that then you realize the model is irrelevant if you're if you're a, if you're a true a uh, big player in the in the market or you're a big speculator in the market and you feel that bitcoin is a is a is an exponential koshi process then all calls are mispriced right because at any point bitcoin can go up 100x or 50x or 10x within the course of a few days so from that point of view you know putting a model on it you know you you may say that like like any call spread you know you want to buy the wing because 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 your model your your mental model is different from an options practitioner's model right
1: Mm, yeah i I mean you could have an example of that like an example of something now might be uh okay i can sell everyone's i'm i can sell uh you know 21 22 23k calls at like somewhere between like say 65 and 80 vols uh and, and i can earn that premium that's cool um, but what happens to vols if BTC goes to 21K? Like those, even accounting for what you would call like the, the, the roll or slide, like on the smile, which would be as your option delta changes, your vols will change. But even accounting for those factors, which we don't have to go into, like I'm pretty confident that if BTC went from 19.4 or wherever it is now, and at the end of this podcast it was at 22k like those vols would be you know uh, you'd be lucky no well you wouldn't be able to for a start you wouldn't be able to buy any um you know but but if you were managed to buy something like you're probably paying well in excess of 90 vols so like that's a vol that looks you know obviously people are happy to sell it they're happy to sell it now because like we haven't gone above 20k and whatever but that's not necessarily. I would say that's a very bad vol to be sure, because like the scenario where the market goes higher, like you're probably in a disgusting position. Um, and in the market, the scenario where the market goes lower, it's probably going to be relatively sharp sell-off. So like initially, vols may even be supported on that. And certainly, if you're running a delta hedge book, like that roll down on those on the vols. Um, Will hurt you because, like, your thirty delta option will roll to a ten delta option, and the vol you have on that option, even accounting for like lower vega, will um go from you know sixty to eighty. So, like, I think that's like not a very good vol to sell. For example, that's like seems to those types of options seem like obvious buys really, irrespective of like what your actual spot view is. Uh, but I mean, I personally think like the base vols are generally on the low side here anyway. So,
0: so something. Uh, maybe that, what's interesting to me is kind of what, what your original answer didn't say. Are we kind of interested in, do you think it's not necessary to to understand what the different Greeks are and how they, uh, how they work in order to be an options taker?
1: Uh, no, I, th- I think if you just care about, if you just want to, like, punt a spot view via an option, then, like, as long as you can compute, like, what your payout is and, like, what your loss is, like you can be profitable. Like there are definitely crypto traders in the in the market who are who are, you know, not professional vol traders but very good delta traders and they make, you know, a lot of money trading options. Um but I mean I would say most of them know like all the basic Greeks. But like that's not their money isn't necessarily coming from like Greek analysis. It's coming because they've put they've they've found some like cheap or like asymmetrically payoff um profile options that you know support a a generally correct spot view so I mean that's definitely you can definitely do that that's definitely Um, true
2: that's definitely true and and I actually I would even go further than that I would say like a like a a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing because because I was speaking to Light about this the other day but like when he started to realize that, like you know, he's paying these vol spreads, or whatever, he got really into trying to get the best price possible and trying to buy in the mid of vol. But by definition, you can't do that anyway. You have to just ask all the market makers and then buy the best offer, right? That, because, uh, because, that, because as a taker, that's priced in, and part of that priced in is that makers will know sometimes you're sharp and the market will go in your direction, right? So, so he said, like you know, be, because of that, he ended up missing out on like half his size like right before the big C pump uh, in 2019, where, you know, it went from like 7K, 7.2 to 11, 11K in like 24 hours, right? So, you know, it's, it's stuff like that where, you know, how much Greeks do you really need to know to trade options? I honestly don't like think it's very much at all. Um, I think knowing... I knowing too much and then thinking about it all the time actually will make you a lot worse because you won't yeah
1: there's some leveling as well right where you like, there's a
2: lot of leveling where you want to get the absolute best possible fill at the best possible times you want to start being a market maker yourself but you start to mm-hmm. lose the whole point of trading an option in the first place as a speculator which is that you're exploiting the curve because like you, you think about buying stocks right I, I try to get this analogy when you buy stocks you're also not like analyzing like every single exchange and making sure you get the absolute best TCA, making sure you get the absolute best possible price because the because the size of your gain if you're right is so much bigger than any optimization you can do on the microstructure that it doesn't it doesn't matter as much, right? And and I think the same applies in in options as well where like you think about the put sellers, right? That have come into the market and you know if they have hundreds of millions of fiat behind any put that they can sell is free money because they can buy because they'll because they'll buy the spot themselves right like sailor if he knows he's gonna buy if he knows he's gonna buy half a billion of spot and he can sell a one week put that that to him is actually free money yeah, it's, it's literally, literally free, free money. money and and imagine him thinking about volatility right like it, it would be mentally ill for him to think that way and yeah. actually, and because of the flows in crypto there are a lot of these times where people do have this kind of value. So, so a lot, a lot of times when the skew moves a certain way, or like the, you know, the curve moves a certain way, it's like, is it value or is it a trap? Is it, you know, these kind of things are always in the in the
1: mind. Mm, so, it's often so think, sticky, like it's persistent when it moves, even if it looks wrong. It's generally not for no reason. And, you know, in a macro world, there's so many smart people with lots of money sitting around, like, trying to up out every little thing that if you see something that's a bit wrong, you can put it on, it's pretty much done. Like, it's it's all, you can take it off the next day. Crypto, you might have to sit on, like, some sort of RB position for months, like, as it all goes through the market. And that is just both painful and, like, not a very good use of your VAR. I think the other point you made about a little bit of knowledge can be a dangerous thing is is a super important point, actually. Because in a sense, you know, like you start trading options, you know, you learn some stuff about options, you become, you know, at the point where you start to trade the vols or whatever. But like, it's pretty unlikely that, you know, anyone self-taught and like just a lot of people, generally speaking, are going to have an edge in that like relative value kind of highly technical vol playing field, you know, unless they have the experience of learning from someone who's done it or having done it in like a professional environment, like your know, it's just very unlikely to be large in that sense. Like I think the key is really just to say, well, what A, what type of options trading strategy do I want to employ? And like B, is it realistic that I can employ this strategy and like have some positive EV, um, you know? So like if you're kind of a, 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 an average or normal trader, the answer to that question is likely gonna be, uh, okay, well, the strategy that I have the most e v in that I can employ without making gratuitous errors by accident um or like leveling myself, you know or doing something where I think I know what I'm doing, but I make a mistake. um that strategy is likely gonna be some sort of directional. You know, options trading strategy where you do call, you buy calls, you buy puts, you buy put spreads, you buy call spreads, you buy straddles, you buy strangles, or, or you sell them. And you know, you just say it. You just look at the payoffs. You look at like real, maybe realized versus implied vol, um, and the and just like a chart of vol and like does it look low? Does it look high? Kind of thing, and then see where realized is. And you look at the the difference between the vols and the call and the puts to see where which is more expensive, and just take those pieces of information basically and try and like put on a trade that has some positive um, returns to it, right? And trying to trying to go in and think about well the smile and the skew you know the the smile and the curve and what's going to happen to the curve if this vol moves here and like you know what's going to ha- what's this vanna going to do and like what about my vol of vol and like you know all this kind of other stuff like what's my um, you know like the Greek that represents my skew like what delta do I need to run to hedge that skew out like you're just going to end up in a disaster. That's yeah, my personal opinion. Okay, so I have one final question. <laughs> that was a bit of a rant, sorry. <laughs> no, it's very, very interesting. Uh,
0: I have one final question, um, which is we all love DeFi, right? Decentralized Finance uh, on Ethereum. And uh, there are a couple decentralized options protocols now. Uh, Hedgic, uh Open. I don't know if there are any
1: more, actually. But, uh, I uh, think there are a couple being... There's, I've heard of one that's being built, but I don't want to... There's two that I know of that are kind of currently in development um so well yeah there's siren there's another one um pod pods finance is another one uh Uh, and then there's a couple more but I don't think I should say what they are yet but there are a few out there definitely hedge you can open the like dominant um dominant ones yeah for sure so what are the what are the trade-offs um
0: between decentralized options platform and the current I mean it's you can't even say market data, right? Deribit owns mm. like over ninety percent. Yeah, it
1: is the market. Um, although is the I market. CME, CME is kind of is kind of growing. I mean, I think one of the major and I'm a big fan of Deribit. Um, you know, one of the major advantages that Deribit have over everyone bit CFI or DeFi is portfolio margining. Um, you know, it's very hard to um, trade options in a professional capacity without portfolio margining, even if you want to do uh, basically, it means that you don't have to put up the entirety of the um, the sold option. So, you know, when you buy a call, you put up the entire premium. Um, when you, if you sell it, you, you get like a margin credit um, because you're not, you're not outright short a call in a call spread. Like your short call is matched off with your long call. Basically, just means you get more oomph. And you basically, the portfolio margin at its core allows you to sell um, options with like good collateral usage, basically. Um, so you don't have to put the full notional down for every option you you know, you know um, sell. So without that, it's very, very inefficient to run any sort of portfolio that has any short options in it, basically. And I don't think anyone else is doing a PM. So that, that's a huge advantage for them.
2: I think it's not really easy to do in DeFi 2 unless you can know where you're going to source your liquidation from, because the only the only way you let someone sell a call, let's say, for more BTC than they put up, is if you know how to liquidate them when BTC goes to the moon, right? Because they they won't have the money to pay out, so they need to stop yeah, their yeah. position out. Uh, that,
1: that They'll have unlimited loss, right? By definition.
2: Yeah, exactly. And it can go unlimited overnight, right? So as we've seen plenty of times. So... I think that that is a struggle in, and I, I think kind of, I mean, that that was our thesis when we invested in Darabit too, which is that clearing is a network effect in, in options where the more people come to Darabit and trade on portfolio margin, the more people want to as well, because that's the best, most capital efficient way for you to express your options views. And so I think DeFi's going to have a lot of problems with that unless they can also source, let's say, the perpetual swap you kind of need a perpetual swap market primitive yeah to, or, yeah
1: you have right yeah to you're be right. able to
2: hedge yeah. off that option because otherwise anything else you can come up with would just be mentally like it would it would make no sense how because because you have to liquidate an actual option and then you need to have someone sitting around to 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 have capital ready to trade that it doesn't it, it's strictly worse than everything in c by a lot if you do that I think hedging um. Is interesting and and we do participate in hedging in the sense that uh, you are backing you put up capital and then you are you are saying whoever comes they'll you know buy options from me and I'm selling you know in the in this indiscriminate way. Um, but I think the nice thing about that is uh, you you can you get kind of like a synthetics kind of a a mentality too where like. People then come and then they 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 feel a need to trade on it without necessarily checking the best price. So they're not that price sensitive. They just like the idea of using a hedge like using Hedgik while also being a part of it, uh, while also staking in it. You kind of get this kind of you know not not very price sensitive action and not very capital sensitive action, uh, which I think is is very good for for Hedgik and and for any product which manages to achieve that. So I
0: think. Yeah, I mean, some people do value, I mean, Deribit now has KYC I think, starting. Yeah, exactly. January. exactly. Right, so that, that's maybe the, the big advantage. Yeah.
1: The other thing I think to us, his point was um, that when it comes time to liquidate that person on that short option, if it's like in extreme circumstance, I mean, even on Deribit when the stuff really gets wild, yeah, even yeah, on there, uh, it gets nuts. You can't trade, right? Like, there's there's either like nothing on the screen or it's too, the volumes are too small. Like, it's it just, it's it's un, it's not that it's unusable, it's definitely the wrong word. But, like, you know, if the market has just gapped 20%, like, no one's going to stick like a two way, um, on the screen of like 500 BTC, and what if you've got like a thousand BTC notion or like call that you're just getting liquidated on, right? Like there is no vol, there's no vol hedge in that sense in that scenario. They just have to hedge basically the gamma, and like that it is what it is. So yeah, I think you're right that, um, and, and I hadn't thought about this until right now, but I think you're right that a big um, a big thing for the DeFi options protocols will be having liquid perp markets alongside them.
2: Yeah, like in early 2018, I remember discussing bitcoin options with uh, with Cumberland and a couple other firms and they were adamant that you would never see a liquid bitcoin options market because bitcoin itself would be so volatile that it would be impossible to hedge the 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 gap moves. And so mm-hmm. thinking like where it's come now, it's already quite it's already quite impressive that you even have options in in CeFi and then, you know, and I think a large part of that has been due to the portfolio margining. People more and more participants coming and then trusting it and then CME coming out and you know, less capital sensitive people coming in and, and also selling calls is yeah. kind of close. Uh, and like, if you think about like in March, April 2019, uh, I think on the Bitcoin move from 3.8 to 5.5 and then 7K on that snap move, I think more than half the market makers got wiped on that move or something like that. I can't remember the exact Mm. numbers. Yeah, I remember. It
1: was pretty mental.
2: You know, because they had calendar spreads on, you know, they had diagonals. They had a lot of, like, ratios that, you know, all the assumptions are wrong because the price just doubles, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. and,
2: And so when I think about DeFi options being able to handle massive amounts of liquidations, I think it's, I think, I think perps, DeFi needs to handle perps very well first. The only reason why Deribit was able to do options in a huge way was because perps were already very liquid by that point. Uh, I think I think that kind of has to come first for you to get the proper scale that you need for options in DeFi.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I do think over time, I do think over time that like you know DeFi. uh, options will grow and like i am bullish that as a as an asset i'm bullish both CFI and d options i think they cater for different players and there's room kind of both um so it's certainly not like yeah i'm not like not bearish on it or anything like that i think uh there are you know there's like short-term challenges that everyone would acknowledge around like liquidity and um all, all of that kind of stuff but like they're 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 not insurmountable by any stretch of the imagination
0: So would you say the two watershed moments for DeFi or options in DeFi would be, A, liquid perps or very liquid perp market in DeFi? And it doesn't have to be the same protocol, right? They can hook into each other way better than the centralized exchanges can. And second, uh, solving portfolio
1: margin. Yes, they would definitely be the two things for me. Uh, And I think those things you know, obviously you need liquidity, right? But like, it's a circular thing where like, you know, to get liquidity, you need to have these other things and to have the other things you already want to have liquidity because they're like, you know, hard or whatever to implement. But um, eventually that, you know, that gets cracked. I mean, CFI also has, you know, there are other, there are you know, new exchanges like Bit and, and et cetera coming up in SeFi. So there's like competition, which is always a good thing. And um, you have those firms that are trying to help the ecosystem as well in CFI, right? Like um, for block trading, you have Paradigm, which you know is is doing well. Uh, for bilateral stuff, x margins working on it. So like there are um, there are still kind of unsolved issues in the CFI options as well. But you know people are kind of people are like hammering away at that stuff. And DeFi options have only been around for like what a couple months, like a few months max. Like it's it's very early to expect it to be solved. Right, like you know, right now I think is is not realistic. But um, yeah, I mean we we've traded on um open, we've we've done a little bit on hedging as well. Um, most of our volumes are on the CFI exchanges for the reasons that we've kind of discussed, like efficient use of capital, liquidity, um, you know, the style of trading that we do, et cetera, et cetera. But like that's certainly uh, the DeFi stuff is certainly something that we're interested in and you know helping to grow the uh, the options pie both DeFi and DeFi for everyone
0: yeah I think that's a that's a great uh, way to end this Um, thank you so much for your time both for you Josh and Sue Um, just do you want to uh say where people can find you,
1: you yeah want. sure um you, you can get us on, on our twitter account at ortho trading o-r-t-h-o-t-r-a-d-i-n-g uh we have a, a website as well um but probably the most active uh, which is just that is orthogonal dot trading is our website but yeah probably twitter is where we're uh, most active uh most active on in the general sense and People who know me can find me you know wandering around uh, the crypto scenes
0: <laughs> yeah it was a uh, illuminating conversation for me learn a lot
1: thank you Thanks guys appreciate it
2: yeah thanks for being on.